0: My name is Jonathan, and today I'm okay with saying I'm a Tennessee Vol fan. (laughs) Had you asked me the previous 488 days or something like that, I would have said, yeah, kind of. So, we believe in undercover here. How many times have you all heard the undercover conversation? a lot I think this is undercover maybe it's not I kind of want to I kind of want to have a public beef with our senior associate pastor because he started a practice when he would preach on Sunday mornings of telling a vulnerable story and here I sit Mercado you're going to enjoy this one I just found out 38 seconds ago that my wife has never heard this story. So this is how I look, and I'm fine with it. But what I'm saying is I'm not Brad Pitt. Is Brad Pitt good looking anymore? Who's good looking now? I don't know who's good looking. Brad Pitt. But when I was a child, my belief was anybody that was married was cool because at least one person on the earth decided to spend their life with you. So I must be cool on some level. I went to Beeson with Chad. And Beeson was amazing, and Beeson was terrible, and it was hard. I was a terrible student. Don't take this. Don't listen to what I'm fixing to tell you and believe this is how you get through school. Okay? Y'all stay in school. Y'all study. Keep your calendars. Do the things your mom and dad say. But I would wait till the very last minute to do my papers, to do my exams. And in graduate school, everything is basically a midterm and a final. It's just a bunch of talking, a bunch of reading, and a bunch of writing until the midterms and every class has a paper, and every class has a final, so you're doing both at the same time. And I would walk into the computer lab. Now, I'm old enough that I actually didn't write my first paper on a computer until I was in college. Like, we kind of had a machine in our house, but it had, like, some pixelated golf game on it, and that was, like, it. So, anyway, I'm in Beeson's computer lab, and I am... Doing like 18 papers in a 24 to 48 hour span, and I'm killing it. For a filler, I would quote—I needed like one line from an Indigo Girls song, but I quoted the entire song, just to like fill a page. Anybody else ever done anything like that? Come on, Longshore. I mean, you—no, all right, yeah, go. That's the difference in Tennessee fans and Clemson fans. Um. We're efficient. <laughs> that's not the definition, is it, Laura? I'm sorry. It's been a long day. I busted out 38 papers, 3,000 pages, and I'm thirsty and I'm hungry and it's late. Now, I want to remind everybody once again this is, this is, what I'm, this is what, who I am, okay? You, this is a visual that's important. Now, at Sanford, which is where Beeson was located, was a lot like Furman. It's a beautiful campus. It was small. And literally everybody but me and Chad were beautiful. (laughs) Am I wrong, Wendy? I mean, Chad and I were there. Chad had a wife. I was kind of looking for one, except for maybe not. And Sanford is an undergrad college with a small graduate campus, and everybody's gorgeous. And so anything you want, it was on the college end of the campus. And so I'm walking into the university center to go get something to drink and something to eat. And the way their, their building was set up was um, you would walk up and there was like a set of four or five steps and a little landing and then the doors to go in. And it was double doors, like four sets of double doors to go in those double doors. And, there was an, and I don't know why they designed it this way. Of course, I never thought about it until after the story I'm fixing to tell you. But there was a little landing just inside that first set of double doors and then three or four more steps and more sets of double doors to go into the grand hallway that led to the cafeteria and the, and the sodas and the chips and all the stuff. And so I'm walking up and I, and I get to the first set of steps and it's night, but the lights are on the university center, which means I can see in, right? But the people inside probably can't see out very well. And I walk up my first set of steps, and I put my hand on the door handle to pull up. Now, the outside doors were glass. The second set were just glass on the top half. And because they were like three steps up, when you were standing in that first landing, you could see through the glass and see into and down the hall. Does everybody follow me on this? All right. So I do that. I step in. And now I'm in a lighted space. So now whoever's in that hallway can see me. Right, And I'm going to remind you one more time, this is what they see. Actually, they see like here up. And then it happens. The slow romantic music kicks in. Because down the center aisle, by herself, perhaps a human, perhaps an angel, I'm not certain, is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen until I met my wife. And she's walking towards me. This has never happened to me before. I know this is going to shock you. I made eye contact with her, and she kept eye contact. We were locked on, and I could hear the music in my ears. My heart was moving. My feet were lighter. And it was the lightness of foot that was my downfall. Because you'll see, what happened was I forgot, even though I've been in there a thousand times to get a bag of Cheetos, I forgot... (laughs) that there was three steps there. But my feet were so light, and I was kind of floating, you know? And I go in. Has anybody ever done something that they expect, their body expects to do rotely and it doesn't happen every day? I'm sorry. Like one time, I, I drank a glass of milk, and I thought I was drinking Coke, but I didn't see that it was milk, and I about puked, right? Because it wasn't what my body wanted. And I put my foot up to, to hit that step. And I missed so hard because I was one stride short of the step. See, I didn't want to break eye contact. I was, I was locked in and she was locked in. And I don't know who was playing in the background, but it was gorgeous music. And I went up and I went, boom. Boom. Except I went all the way to the ground. Now, all she could see was here up, gone. (laughs) This was now my first real test of God's goodness. I assessed as quickly as I could, will she have mercy on me? Will she laugh at me? I don't know. Remember, it's a half door. So I cock my head to the side because, you know, my eyes are on this. If I do this, like my head's above this, right? Like if, right, but I can do this move. And so I turn my head to the side and I raise one eye over to see if I'm getting grace or derision. Am I getting empathy or sympathy? Empathy's preferred. And she's just shaking her head. Literally, she's shaking her head. And I slowly lowered my head back down. And I thought, Lord God, I've got to walk through this door. Because I'm still getting the Cheetos, by the way. You need to understand something. I wasn't not hungry, right? And I still had nine papers to write. But God is good. And I opened the door slowly. And there was a hallway right about where she had stopped and she took a right and went down the hallway and I never saw her again. And that's who I am. And so if ever you're wondering who you're sitting with when you go to a counseling session, it's a guy who's been there. (laughs) So thank you for making me tell that story, Lee. Can I get a bottle of water? I meant to grab one. I'm sorry. We're going to be in what is probably, arguably, the second most popular scripture in the history of the world. My assumption is John three sixteen is the most popular scripture in the history of the world. I remember one time in Memphis, I got pulled over for speeding, and the cop said, you have been drinking? I said, no, sir, I don't drink. I don't know why I threw this little line in, but I did. I said, no, sir, I don't drink. I'm a Christian. <laughs> You ready for this? Only in the South, where's my, only in the South is this a sobriety test. You ready for this? What's John (laughs) 3.16? I boarded that joker out so fast, he said, go on your way, young man. (laughs) Memorize your scripture, guys. (laughs) It'll do something for you All right Psalm 23 We're going to do three things I'm going to tell you now And I'm going to tell you several times I want you to just understand We're going to take a slow walk through this passage Because we're talking about feasting In the midst of the darkest valley Okay, this is a taste and see series and we get to see how God's good right in the middle of the darkness, right? And so I want us to do we're gonna look at three things. Number one, God is good. Okay, number two, God is good no matter what. Thirdly, God's goodness is unexpected and extravagant. Now notice the progression. Progression's important for us. Because we're forgetful. Dr. Smith, our mentor, used to say that um, Christians have spiritual amnesia. That's why you can't just preach the simple truths over and over and over again. Because people forget the applications and the simple pieces. So we're going to talk about God is good. Right? God's good no matter what. And God's goodness is unexpected and extravagant. So we're going to walk through that progression. But first off, I'd like for us to go ahead and read the passage. Let's read it together, actually. This is a famous one that almost everybody in the room is probably memorized. But let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All right. God is good. Verses 1 through 3 are going to be where we're going to park for just a second to look at what His goodness looks like. First off, right out of the gate, I mentioned the spiritual amnesia piece. Verse 1 could be the standalone, and it really should be the standalone. The Lord is my shepherd. and some translations say, I shall not lack or I lack nothing. Which means God who leads us as the provider gives us everything we need. That really should be the standalone, right? Like if he says it, he means it and it's true, but we forget. Hebrews tells us that God took a vow Because mankind needed to take a vow. Abraham needed the vow. God's word stands alone. He doesn't need to take the vow to make a vow with Abraham. But he did it because Abraham needed it. Right? And that's part of his goodness. That's a gracious thing for him to do. He understands our fallen nature way better than we do. Right? That's who he is. But he also, in the very beginning, he uses a lot of images that are really important. And I want to note—I us to look at those real quick and notice that a lot of them are creation images. Green pastures, quiet waters, right? Along the paths of righteousness. In my mind, those paths are clean, uncluttered. Like a path to righteousness in my visual doesn't seem like roots and thorns and... What are those little terrible vines that have the thorns on them that wrap around your legs? Even if you don't see them, then they shred your calves, right? Those, like, those aren't on the paths of righteousness. Like, these are pristine, nice, clean, beautiful images. And God chose to use images in the beginning of this. I'm saying God because he spoke through David, and David was a poet and a songwriter. Because he saw his creation and called it good. Right? And so he wants us to see the same thing and to be able to, to attach to that visual. Like visuals are important. Metaphors are important. And so he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters and along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The other thing I want to dispel really early is the idea, how many of y'all have ever heard that sheep are stupid? That sheep are the stupidest animal on earth. How many of y'all have heard that? Right? Most of y'all. How many of y'all have ever said that to somebody else in recounting some biblical story? Oh, come on. The same people that heard it. Don't give me that. Yeah, the same people that heard it. We're liars. We're liars. If you look it up, the 25 most intelligent animals on earth, sheep rank 17th. That's pretty high. There's a lot of animals. Right? And I'm going to read a little description really quick just to show you what's going on. Of all the animals, sheep are believed to possess the most powerful memories. I didn't know that. Some research even shows that they are better at memory than humans in certain situations. For example, they have the ability to identify when a fellow sheep member is lost. Wow. Wow. Moreover, they exhibit a wide range of emotions and responses to various things going on around them, which shows a high level of intelligence. So let's not say things that aren't true when we talk about ourselves being sheep and then try to tell people that sheep are stupid. We might be foolish. We might make poor choices. That's why we have a shepherd. You know, sheep can go a long time without drinking and they can eat the little stubble on the ground until the shepherd leads them to a new place. Right? So they're they're, they're they're available, they're present, they're listening for the shepherd. Matter of fact, a lot of times, the shepherds don't want the sheep to follow, but they're around them. Shepherds will whisper, because the sheep hear the voice and they'll follow. So let's put this in perspective really quick as we start and realize what we're talking about and realize... Who we are in this story let's not downgrade ourselves to make god look better. He he looks good enough Okay I like to burst bubbles every once in a while and just try to change the way we think and this is a really important one Moving on to verse four is point number two god is good no matter what And it says even though I walk through the darkest valley is what the uh, niv says This is not a death passage, by the way. We get this a lot at funerals. Um, And there's some comfort, obviously, in the verse, but this isn't about death. Not death, death, like we think. This is various trials, right? This is tribulations. And so, we have moments of dark valleys in our life, right? Life looks like this, is that correct? And whenever we act like or beg, I just want this to stop. I just want to stop. Well, that's not a great question. It's not going to stop. The goal is for it to look like this on the incline, right? This is okay, but not really thriving. This is thriving. Because we're not completely in charge and because sheep, as the metaphor would explain, are 100% dependent on the shepherd for water sources And grass to eat and things like that. That's where our dependency lies with the shepherd. Which is why it says he makes them lie down in green pastures. Because he leads them there and they're going to stay where he leads them. Y'all with me? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. My Beeson story, when I tripped and fell in front of that woman, that's not a dark valley. You know, sometimes we act like that. These moments are our dark valleys. If Gary Hippolyte stood right here, who's surrounded by demon worshipers and told us that we give the devil too much credit, then he's right. Like, he's surrounded by them. He's like, you guys give the devil way too much credit. Because sometimes we make our own valley, don't we? I mean, sometimes we choose to disobey... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but anybody ever done that, right? Like, we make our own valley. Quit acting like the valley you made is a a mess you didn't make, and you can't wait to get out of it. Like, you made it. Take the consequences. Take the whole process, right? We need to stick. Now, that doesn't mean we don't confess. That doesn't mean we don't tell the Lord what's going on. That doesn't mean we don't move to repentance, but I've watched people, I've I worked with homeless people for almost 12 years, and homeless people and addicts would say, I just want to quit this, I just want to quit that, and when you'd ask them, what was their plan, they'd say, well, I'm just going to stop. That's that's not a plan. I'm just going to stop. What they wanted was this to stop, Right? They didn't want to do the work to do this piece. And so they would come stay with us in the shelter for a long time, or they would come into a long-term recovery program so that we could help them see that life is still this, but you can do this on an incline. You can do this and still be ascending because we were teaching them what it's like to sit in and deal with the consequences we make. But at the same time, I don't want to belittle what the valley really is. We have an image if you could throw that image up for me, Gary, before we move anywhere, let's realize that between Eden and heaven is the valley of shadow death. It's not where we're supposed to be. And I think it's really hard to get all the other pieces. It's hard to get that other thing down. How do I deal with the valley I'm in now? If we don't have a better understanding that between Eden and heaven is the valley of the shadow of death? It wasn't what God intended. It's what mankind chose into, and God and his sovereignty still had a plan. But there was never supposed to be that dip, right? That understanding, that basic level understanding leads us to then know how to deal with the smaller valleys. Because anything we exhibit now or, or anything that we live through now in life is a smaller valley compared to the bigger valley between the fall and God coming back and reclaiming his kingdom. And so I don't want us to lose that peace. Yes, John 16.33, if we could look at that real quick. Um, John 16.33 is still in play. Because he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What a powerful truth. That a lot of times we forget when we're in the middle of the valley. Or we remember it, but we declare it really loud. 13 times and tell nine people about it, hoping that that's the thing that lifts us out. And maybe that plus whatever God is doing is how we get out. Maybe it's part of just the movement. Maybe it's part of just God moving us through a season. Because also, if we could throw up the James passage, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This next one's the hook, guys. Your face will get caught. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete and not lack anything. What did Psalm 23 1 say? The Lord is my shepherd, and I have no lack. Let your perseverance finish. It's work. If we rush through things, if we blow through things, if we don't take an assessment, then we miss it. And we're doomed to repeat it. Steve Keys a couple years ago did, uh, is it Walk Through the Bible? Is that what it's called? Walk Through the Bible? And one of the things he said that I wrote down that was awesome he said a lot of things are awesome, but one of the things I wrote down was he said, If you miss this opportunity, God's gracious enough to give you another one. Sometimes this grace looks a little weird. <laughs> you know? Because sometimes we, we screw it up and God says, oh, You can do it again. But other times, He doesn't and we get to move right through the process. And I want to sk- finish the verse if we can. Because then He comes in and says, Do not fear. For I am with you. So you're in a dark valley. The darkest of valleys, right? He says, do not fear, for I am with you. So here's my question. If he's in the valley, why the heck am I trying to get out of it so fast? Isn't the goal of my life and the goal of my faith to be next to my daddy? Next to my savior? Right? And if he's there, and we're fixing to see in the next verse even how much more he is there. Yeah, he's there because we need him in the low places. But the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness temptation. And Chad's been talking a while on this ascent lesson, these ascent series about how some of this is God pushing us into uncomfortable places. Right? And so if, if Jesus is in the valley, why the heck are we trying to get out of it so degum fast and then you find and claw your way out which really you're not out you probably just run a smaller hole and it looks like it's out and you wonder why other things aren't manifesting right well god might still be over here wanting you to finish the process so that what james said is true that my perseverance finish its work so that i might be mature Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. I spent most of my early Christianity wondering where the joy was. I know where the answer to that is now. When I complained about it back then, I wasn't nestled up next to my daddy. That's why I didn't have any joy. Everything I'm telling you, I did for years. That's how I got to seminary. And unfortunately, seminary doesn't unteach that. It kind of reinforces it a little bit. Right, Sean? And so we strive, strive, strive for things that aren't real. We push, push, push for things that aren't real. We try to create our own inclines. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because we've all done it. We've all created our own inclines. Let's not do that anymore. It's time for the Bob Hope video. Stop it. Not Bob Hope, Bob Hart. Stop it. Anyway, I'll tell you about that. There's a is it, no, it's Bob Newhart. Gosh, I blew the heck out of that. Bob Newhart. <laughs> Dead gummit. Should have written it down. What are you gonna do? Missed a step. I didn't fall the way down this time though. I just kinda stumbled. <laughs> and by the way, if you've if you're watching online and you're wondering who I am and you look on the internet, you may not recognize me because I'm forty eight pounds lighter than I was when I took the picture. <laughs> God is good and then this last part because he's really ramping it up now David is God's goodness is unexpected and extravagant unexpected and extravagant so the word table you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies by the way this might be one of the most boss verses in scripture <laughs> Things aren't going great, and you're just eating a sandwich with Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to belittle it. I chose sandwich for a reason. If you know me, I care a great deal about sandwiches. Sandwiches are a feast. Table. We have a table conference coming up, right? So this word can also mean food. It can also mean one of our favorite charismatic words, anointing. Right? In the midst of all the junk, God prepares a table. Proximity. Right? Now Psalm 1611 makes sense again. In your presence is fullness of joy. If I sit at a table with you, that's proximity. If we do that a lot, we become really good friends. I lived across the street from Chad and Wendy for years. We ate dinner together four or five nights a week. That's how I got to know Chad and Wendy. We ate together constantly, proximity. Food. Remember, table can also mean food. The Hebrew word can also mean food. Food is sustenance. We have a passage in 1 Kings, the passage in 1 Kings 19, 5 through 9. A lot of y'all know this passage. This is Elijah. He's just killed a thousand prophets of Baal. And now he's running from Jezebel who says she's going to slaughter him. And everybody gives him a hard time. That's ridiculous. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the story goes on, right? There was an earthquake, there was a mighty wind, God was in the whisper. He was tired, guys. He ran because he was tired. He wasn't thinking clearly because he was tired. And notice the angel fed him and let him sleep again to wake him up again and feeding. Sent him to a cave. He went there and slept again. But God ministered to him in his tiredness by giving him food. And you could call that in the middle, in the midst of his enemy. I mean, she was actively looking for him. There was a there was a price on his head. And then lastly, the anointing is sufficiency. In Second Corinthians, Paul writes... Jesus' words, my grace is sufficient for you. Back to that original illustration of Eden and heaven. You'll notice in the middle of that little illustration between Eden and heaven is the cross. The cross is the king's table in that valley. And the cross will be the king's table in any valley. What does that cross look like then in all these other valleys? Well, if it's a sin-produced valley, it looks like confession, out loud, please, and repentance. And then the acceptance of the forgiveness God gives you. Right? And in those other moments, it just looks like sticking with God and practicing that James passage of perseverance. The cup. The cup simply means abundance. The anointing of the head with oil is a thing of honor. And so that's why I said this is the most boss passage ever because Jesus or or David writes through the Holy Spirit's inspiration that you will prepare, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and then you'll honor me with a head anointing of oil so much that my cup overflows and I have abundance. In the middle of a fight, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of the bad spot, All of those things. All of those pieces. God's giving us a table and a seat of honor. Showing us honor by anointing our heads with oil. And then giving us cups that overflow. Which, by the way, could include a cup of suffering. If that's part of the James reality. That I go through a trial so that my perseverance may be complete. So that I might be mature. That's still abundance Please know that. That's still abundance. When we don't call that abundance, and that's what God's doing, we're liars. We're putting ourselves above him, and now we're in a pride situation that's so dangerous. It can be life-ending. Don't go there. We have to reassess and go back to the simple things. We have to walk our way back. And then closing in verse 6, he says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, We have the Young's uh, literal translation. I love it. If we could. Only goodness and kindness pursue me. All the days of my life and my dwelling is in the house of Jehovah for the length of days. That's not necessarily heaven. That actually means the temple, which is where priestly things happen and we do worship and sacrifice. So the invitation is to be a part of that as well. And notice that God is still pursuing. I think women have a leg up a lot when it comes to a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord because they understand being pursued. And most of us men, especially Western men, we don't have any value for that, being pursued. So let this be a reminder for us to listen to our wives and the women in our life and be grateful that we live in a church and we worship at a church that values the voice of women. Because they have something to say about being pursued by God that we don't really understand as men. Because God pursued here, and if I miss pursuit, then I miss God.